Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Hey there, podcast listener. Have you ever been listening to Wizard and the Bruiser and thought to yourself, I wish I could see just how fat Jake and Holden are in real life? Don't lie. We know all about your weird inside thoughts, listeners. Well, now you can make that dream a reality because Wizbrew and Page 7 are going on tour. Austin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis, D.C., Philly, Brooklyn, San Francisco, L.A. Nowhere is safe from an all-new show we're calling Release the Butthole Cut. Ew. Come join your fellow LPN fans for a night of pop culture chaos that's fun for the whole family, assuming your family consists of equally broken weirdos in their 30s. It's going to be a blast. Tickets are on sale right now at lastpodcastnetwork.com. Go, go now. There's VIP meet and greet passes available as well in case you want to get, you know, a little extra close, uh, especially personal. I legally have to clarify that there is no sexual element involved. I mean, unless, you know. Okay, cheese chick. All right, stop winking. All right, buddy. It's page seven and Wizard and the Bruiser live. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com for dates and tickets. Everybody, it's me, your Agent 47 wizard, Holden McNeely. I'm the greatest assassin in the world, Jake. And hi, it is me, also Agent 47 Bruiser, Jake. (laughs) I need to use the bathroom. (laughs) I need to use the bathroom. All right. I need to use the bathroom. Go right ahead, sir. Go right (laughs) ahead, sir. Hey, what's that over there? Could you look the other way? (laughs) I'm just ready to- Get choked, you idiot. (laughs) Now I'm wearing your bellboy pants. I'm just ready to uh, play a little golf here, as I tend to do. I'm just a normal (laughs) hit of the driver. Uh, and a swing. Hey, and that a- guy! Oh, <laughs> God! I've exploded into a million pieces. Or hold on, here's a more accurate. Uh, okay, that's like Hitman at its best. Here's yeah. a more common Hitman experience. Yes. Hey, that guy moved a bottle slightly. Shoot him! Shoot him in the brain! <laughs> Say everyone, load. everyone, shoot him in the brain! Load he moved game. a bottle wrong. <laughs> that's right. We're talking about the uh, Hitman <laughs> series of video games. The little series that could, it's another one of those stories, another one of those tales where you kind of can't believe 
this uh, team or different iterations of this team have continued to persevere through many, uh, through some sales of the of the company, through you know misfires with the franchise, and has come out, especially lately for the past few years, really on top. And it's it's pretty amazing to see people get so excited about a Hitman game in 2023. It's what's fascinating about this uh, series, or at least what I think it is, is. The fact that the technology for the kind of game that this was always supposed to be, like, was was cutting edge, bleeding edge. You know, they had, like, barely figured out po- polygonal graphics yeah. on home computers. And even the edge from U2 is, it loves the game. I mean, it's that <laughs> absolute cutting edge. How do you name yourself Edge? I mean, where do you Confidently. Confidently. <laughs> That's that's the secret, Holden. If you are like just barely good enough, but otherwise there's nothing that interesting about you, give yourself a crazy ass name so everyone's gonna be like, "Who the fuck names that?" All right, he is pretty good at. Hey that. guys, it's me, Edge. Nice to meet you. Honest to God, we would have at least three times as many listeners if instead of like Holden and Jake, we were just like Paradigm and Letter Z. Yeah, yeah, I'm Slice. <laughs> Call me Slice and you're Slit. And And together we slice a slit. (laughs) God, okay, hear me out. The show, uh, yes, their names are Slice and Paradigm, but they're actually very funny and informative. I'm Mommy, your Daddy, and together we suck. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I'm just spitballing here, but Hitman, huh? What do you you have to say about it? So many things. I mean- Hold on, wait. Let me finish my original point before we got to Mommy, Daddy, Suck time. (laughs) Oh, you were so ready with mommy, daddy, suck time. You thought you could derail my coaching points, Holden. <laughs> the fact is, the 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 for Hitman to work, you need a as as believable and intricate of a goddamn simulated world as possible. And IO Interactive had this vision, uh, you know, a, a collaborative vision, as we'll get into, that had kind of evolved along the way. And it wasn't until like fairly recently that they kind of nailed it and have like mastered this world building machine that they have set up where at this point, like they can't do anything but make Hitman games because no one else has the tech. No one else has the know how. And to even try and, you know, if another company tried to do this thing. It would not work because you needed 20 plus years mm-hmm. to get to a place where you have uh, levels like Paris, you have levels like Sapienza, you have levels like Dubai and Yoka, Hokkaido. I forget the fancy Japanese snowy one. <laughs> uh, snowy, snowy Japan, I believe. Where, you know, just all of these moving parts are working in unison and like mm. in a way that you just can't believe what you're seeing that you know you you've entered a world of assassination but also mommy i just feel like <laughs> it has it is the truest sandbox game and in the you know in the truest sense of the word and it's so evident because of how people approach this game from all different angles you know what i mean like you can play it as a really ridiculous silly fun house just slinging banana peels and rubber duckies and like taking up the president of a country. And some entries lean more into that than others in the series, but still, no matter which one, especially of the newer ones, you can get really, you can really just sit there and play it as like a comedy Twitch streamer, but then you can also play it, get really, really intense about 
perfectly pulling off these different kills and all, you know, and all these different challenge missions and things like that and doing it as seamlessly and feeling like, you know, it, it's a totally different, like, full-on role play where you're feeling like a real hitman, like a real amazing, most dangerous assassin that goes completely undetected and gets that kill. Or you can literally just like throw toilets on, you know, piles of bodies. You know what I mean? And do, yeah, just absolute. Listen, you silliness. show me a lever that uh, lowers a chandelier. I'm going to try and kill somebody with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really, really cool in that way. And yeah, I agree that it takes so long to perfect it. I think the reason why is because stealth. That's a tricky pickle right there, man. <laughs> Stealth is, you know, a succulent, difficult, you know, the kind of pickle that hides from you when you're not looking at it. You have one of those in the house, right? That trickster pickle that's oh, always no. fucking with me. As an Ashkenazi Jewish man, there is not a pickle in this country that can evade my uh, delicious <laughs> grasp. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, stealth stealth can be really, really difficult to work with. Be, you know, I, I immediately what comes to mind for me is like siphon filter, or mm-hmm. even if you go back to the first Metal Gear Solid, even the mm-hmm. first couple, it's really, really easy to make stealth annoying in a video game to make it like not super desirable. You know, I, I, I think a lot of times people were playing, and you know, I think initially you just want to run and gun in a video game as as a kid, right? Like you just want to get in there go full doom guy mm-hmm. essentially and you know stealth asks you to get into the find the enjoyment and the nuance of t- really taking your time and like making sure not to get detected and pull off you know in the case of hitman pull off really creative interesting kills that that no one would notice because you've you've come up with some really great strategy right because the goal isn't just to run up and shoot the person the goal is to Get in, get out, which adds a whole nother layer to everything. Yeah, it very quickly tries to show you like, hey, you can just shoot the gun off, but you're immediately going to get a bunch of heat on you and die quite quickly. You know, and I think some games pull it off better than others. Like, And for me, I'm I'm, get the cat out of the bag here. I'm not a, a big stealth guy. I've always said that. Like, I'm not, which is hilarious because Metal Gear Solid is probably one of my favorite series ever. And I got really, really into the stealth in, like, let's say a Metal Gear Solid Five, right? Now, all the different ways you could you could pull it off. And Hitman also, I think, is a stealth game for anyone, right? That anyone can get into. You know, just depending on if you if you give it a chance. And it's, I think, one of the key things in Hitman's recent success is they struggled with ways to give people that chance um, because at this point, it's a genre on unto itself. There is no other game that operates like that. They have like mechanics built on mechanics built on mechanics. Uh, and so the onboarding process, it really is, if you pick up a Hitman game, especially the modern trilogy, and just dive into it as if it was Grand Theft Auto, as if it was any other third-person action game, you would... You get killed. You immediately die. Nothing works the way your gamer instincts tell you to. And uh, the challenge to, like, make this very niche European simulation kind of game into a major fr- AAA franchise took some fine-tuning. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it's, and their ultimate victory is really just about how they finally got this game into enough hands and about just the character of Agent 47 himself, you know, back into the 2000s. Yeah, I read the gaming magazines. Uh-huh. I read, like, PC Gamer and Electronic Gaming Monthly. And 
just like he was so goofy, you know, just this bad CGI bald guy with a uh, barcode on the back of his head with that fucking it's so European that yeah. like tribal tattoo logo yeah. dragony thing uh-huh. that they throw on everything. Like it was a very specific vibe that did not, you know, resonate with, you know, it's not a crash bandicoot. It's not a doom guy. Right. It's not, it's such a weird mascot and such a weird identity for gaming, but they stuck it out. Like just year after year, these games kept coming out to the point where Agent 47 is like a beloved icon, uh-huh. which is incredible because he's just a bald guy with a weird voice and a red tie who just likes wearing dumb costumes. But it also it also initially came out at a time when dumb bald guy with the barcode in the back of his head was like right in line with the edgy, let's get yeah, back yeah. to edge, right, mommy? Right, right in line with like that kind of aesthetic in the 2000s of like, yeah, we're badass and we're so... Then it goes away as we all felt it should and then came back in 2016 so strong. I mean, it was it, it was kind of a sleeper success for sure. Like Hitman 2 is really when it hit its stride. And we'll, we'll talk about that and how that went down and how they were able to manage to do some really smart things to bring the audience to Hitman 2. But I feel I had felt like it came out really strong because I am an avid listener of like Giant Bombcast and that kind of ecosystem of video game journalists. And they were championing the shit out of it immediately. They were like, mm-hmm. this is really cool. The episodic na- nature of the release of the game is actually really cool as well and how it forces you to just hone in on a single level and and really explore it and, and scrape the edges and really see what you can get out of one as opposed to just keep keep moving on to the next one because they didn't all come out at once, at least in the first game. Uh, mixed with just the innovation and the things that you could do, mixed with the just the general graphical quality and and uh, um, just complexity of, of the different stages that they built. So I'd already in my head, it was like a success. But then they were also like, it's a shame no one's playing this game. And then all of a sudden, the the Square Enix is dissatisfied with with IO. We'll get into it. And, and things go south from there. And then they end up prevailing miraculously out of uh, rising out of the ashes of the of the Square Enix ownership like a phoenix and uh, and finding their audience and I kind of watched it all in real time. This is one of those weird ones for mm-hmm. me. Kind of like Activision. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I just was listening to a podcast where people were talking about the current state of that thing and we're now talking about it as a relic. But but it was cool to see. It was cool to watch that journey go down in real time and you know it was really well summed up in the no clip documentary we'll definitely be talking about things that uh, we learned about uh, from that so check that out on youtube if you'd like to see some of the faces and hear some of the stories direct from the devs involved over at io but it is a really amazing story about how a group of devs can come together and like learn from their past mistakes and figure out how to combine all the things that make a franchise really great hone in on what and really it feels like they're very connected to their audience and mm-hmm. i always appreciate seeing that when you watch a come trying to think of another example off the top of my head and i'm struggling to as i talk to a microphone it's a lot going on you know what I mean? Your brain's going click, 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 click. <laughs> Your mouth's going lila, gala, ila. You know what I mean? But it's I hard mean, for that's me to- not how I would describe the very common human <laughs> action of just thinking of what to say than saying it. 
But that's you're a fun, interesting guy. All us, all us mortals, Holden, are walking around with like, hmm. I have an idea. Let me take a second to articulate it into words so it communicates effectively, and then I will use my mouth and lips to uh, just make the sounds necessary to make that idea happen. But you're just walking around with your own magic language. <laughs> but I, I always, I think you've heard me. Uh, really like praise other episode topics like this in the past when they clearly listen to their audience and make change and you know adjust accordingly to what people are are reacting to positively and negatively it it, it shows a respect Mm -hmm. for the audience i always like topics where where i can tell the creatives behind it like actually respect their audience they make that very clear and very you know even to the point where like arguably hitman 2 is almost too silly it's like too ridiculous because they were like people love the shenanigans of these games let's go who gives a fuck Let's not take this character seriously either. Why would we? It's honestly that was a brilliant. Like as soon as they dropped the fucking. If you are old enough to remember like Hitman ads in the video game magazines, it was always just like a dead lady in a bathtub. Yeah, well, there's controversy around that. Or like the sex nuns from I think Absolution. Like they always had nun stuff. There's a lot of Europeans. It's Europe. It's Europe. (laughs) It's they're fucking Danes. They got a real complicated history with the Catholic Church. Like the reason why the Hitman theme is just like Gregorian chants and techno music. Yeah. It's just pure Danish vibes. Right, right. Totally. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot. It's very European for sure. But it's nice to see. It's nice to see that that they can embrace that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I, I also always love any any entity or person or that does not take themselves too seriously. This is definitely the case of an entity that definitely took itself way too seriously at first. And then as they went along, real, you know, and that also is part of like growing up and, and getting out of that edgelord time of video games. Thank God we're past that, uh, you know, because we all did grow up and realize like we're all goofy and we have dumb taste and stuff and you know and and we're you know especially as you be we become dads and stuff just embracing that goofy silly dad energy or or i'm not cool anymore and i don't have to try to be cool Mm -hmm. anymore and that's so and all of a sudden you're way cooler than you've ever been. yeah and you're like beating someone to death with a banana and (laughs) loving it so yeah, that's oh, the Hitman one series. One last thing sure. uh, before we get into it. Hit me with it, mommy. Uh, I did no research on the topic, but I did watch the Timothy Oliphant 2005 oh movie. Oh my God, Jake, you did? I mean, I was told that was the better <laughs> one than the 2015 uh, I don't even know who was in the 2015. Rupert I just Friend, say, a for, man named Rupert Friend, was in the 2015. Jake, one. you're allowed for your mental health to avoid these sorts of things. No, <laughs> okay, okay. In, we're not going to get into it. But so just right now, while I'm talking about it, there's this, uh, one of the things in the Timothy Oliphant one is that there's like a bunch of agents, uh, all bald headed barcode guys that are like trying to take out our 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 guy number 47. And uh, they all do a like Mexican standoff in a in a subway car, and like there's four guys all pointing guns at each other, and they've arranged their hands so that they're all pointing the equal amount of guns in a perfect formation, and it's very cool. And they all look at each other, and then Timothy Oliphant says, "Well, if we're gonna do this." Why don't we die with dignity? And they all drop their guns and they each pull out two swords that they all are carrying <laughs> and they have a four-way double sword fight with each other. And I loved it. I That's loved fun. it. It was amazing. 
That's fun. All right, so Hitman is a stealth video game franchise created by IO Interactive, in which one controls the clone assassin named Agent 47. I'm an assassin who gets assignments from the International Contract Agency to take out local targets. It was hugely innovative in the social stealth genre of gaming, in which one can do don disguises, interrupt different situations in ways not so you're not just sneaking around, sulking in the shadows. You're you're getting in the mix. I think mm-hmm. that's something we left out a little bit. You're you're really that was really innovative for the hiding whole in genre. plain sight, hiding in plain sight, and role playing. And there you and there you go. Immediately your head goes to shenanigans, right? Uh, like in the Miami level, let's say, where you can dress up in a giant flamingo mascot costume mm-hmm. and choke dudes out uh, as a ridiculous plushy flamingo. The original series ran from 2000 to 2012 with a massively popular reboot to the franchise that started in 2016, slowly gaining its traction through the trilogy that is now out uh, with more plans for sure for more releases. But let's start with the early history of this franchise. In the early 90s, the tech around gaming was evolving quickly, which is why you had demo scenes popping up all I over love the that place. this starts with fucking demo scenes. Dude, guys. so a lot. There was another, there was some, uh, some other ones uh, we've done. Remedy was demo yes, scene Remedy guys. Was Rare demo was scene. demo scene guys. It's all, if you're in Europe yeah. and you're a child, you don't just play your Super Nintendo. You get a weird, underpowered home computer and you have nothing but time to just like figure out how to make it do a bunch of bullshit yep. it was not intended to do. It's hungry developers wanting to create and showcase big new advancements in graphics and systems. And in Europe, there was this group called Scavenger Inc., and they focused on seeking out and putting to the use these groups of digital artists and programmers, molding them into professional development teams. Their best crew they'd managed to put together up to that point was definitely Xerinx, a demo group based in Copenhagen that had formed in 1992 and consisted of programmers David Goldbranson. <laughs> oh, Carson this is going to be fun. Go Wiedberg, for it. And Jinsbo Albrechtsen, along <laughs> with graphic designers Michael Bale and Jesper Jesper Jorgensen mm-hmm. uh, with Jesper Kid on music. All you have to do is try to sound like a record playing backwards when you say the names. Then Jesper Jorgensen. <laughs> so scavenger- Fun fact, all Danish names have subliminal messages from Satan. In them. Yeah. <laughs> so scavenger, yeah, if you say their name backwards, you'll, you'll hear stuff like, I like the devil. He's fun <laughs> to play cards with. So scavenger. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. 
Scavenger relocates this crew to Boston, where they pumped out a physics-based shooter for the Sega Mega Drive, by the way. This is how long ago this was, called Subterranea, along with a couple others before the money was all spent and they had to return home to Denmark. But there was a silver lining. Jacob Anderson, who worked with another dev team, and it was also a scavenger joint. It was called Lemon. He worked with uh, Xerinx on a racing game called Scorcher, and partnered up with the team to work in a very ambitious, open-world, high-fantasy online multiplayer game called Rex Dominus. So just it's like just a couple different dev groups co-mingling. Scavenger falls through. This this company kind of fails at what it was trying to do, and and all the money runs out, so they implode. But because they were all you know that that scavenger team put these dev groups in different rooms together, they started meshing and and. And found, you know, essentially renamed their crew to Rito Moto, Reto Moto. And the group also created a second company called IO Interactive, which was a joint venture with Nordisk Film. So just a quick thing is uh, Nordisk Film is a massive media conglomerate in the country of Denmark. It uh-huh. is. Dear God, I hope I didn't fuck up like we did on the Horizon episode where I got like Holland and Denmark confused. No, Danish, Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, <laughs> literally, they were are like one of the oldest film companies in the world. Like literally by the time that they were just like barely getting motion pictures off the ground. Uh, they have exclusive rights to distribute the PlayStation in Denmark. Like this was a huge deal, a massive investment in local video game development. So all of a sudden, this group of like ragtag fucking demo scene boys had like corporate oversight for the first time. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we're going to make this crazy, ambitious MMORPG in years before World of Warcraft fantasy, (laughs) wild project concept. And Nordisk is like, um, fuck that. We understand (laughs) how how money works. (laughs) Why don't you start out with a very simple shooter instead? Yes. And one of the things that they had to their benefit was the Glacier Engine. Yes. And uh, because these are demo scene guys, these are people that are experts at extracting the most performance and visual tricks and just like new kind of effects out of existing home technologies. And one of the things that Glacier Engine was incredible at was physics at the time. Yes. Uh, There was uh, very few games that had like realistic banners and flags and cloth physics working. Uh, The ragdoll physics where the bodies like hit the ground in a, at the time, (laughs) believable kind of natural way using uh, inverse kinematics, which Mm -hmm. is. Uh, animation technique where I'm like so glad you're explaining this right now because I definitely was just like ah um it made it it's happen a, I don't yeah it's the difference between um and this is very this is a very crude explanation but it's the difference between letting the computer figure out how something's supposed to move and pre-programming yeah. how like someone's just supposed to fall over yeah and just gave it much more dynamic inter- interesting look to like when you kill somebody how they collapse to the ground it was just in it much more interesting and realistic than anything they'd had before it, in video I really games. can't stress how much like especially in the 90s and 2000s just the idea just that thrill of playing a game and seeing it do something that you didn't think 
was possible in a game yeah, was exciting. Why it was so that's why these demo groups existed because there was so much untread ground when it <laughs> came to game physics, graphics, things like that. It really was such an exciting time for you kids out there who's listening to this. I mean, it was so cool, dude. We were fucking cocaine was legal. It was, you know what I mean. We went to raves. We we had the uh, we had the uh, pacifiers in our mouths. We'd 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 act like babies at dance parties, and then we'd play these video games, and it was great. Jacob Anderson said we decided to do a quick game inspired by Hong Kong action movies like The Killer and Hard Boiled. Basically, a guy in a suit blasting away in a Chinese restaurant. Initially, this was a gritty, surly old-timer mercenary in a pinstripe suit. And it was soon changed to into a clone assassin who, with a newly invented 47th chromosome, gave him advanced strength, intelligence, and endurance. Jesper Jorgensen then added the barcode to the back of his neck. Further inspiration came externally. Wait, I, uh, one of the things about it is they tried desperately to give their protagonist flowing hair <laughs> using the glacier engine because oh. that was one of the things it could do is in theory have like uh, you know a mane of like shoulder length cool guy long like think Keanu Reeves now yeah like kind of whipping around while he's holding two guns and turning in slow motion and doing all the cool John Woo shit uh, and it just did not work right it looked too goofy so they're like Fuck it, we'll make him bald. And then they're like, well, now it's boring just looking at the back of a bald guy's head. And so they literally just added the barcode just for visual panache, just for anything to set him apart yeah. as a character. It seems like they were led by external a lot, right? So I think they probably added the barcode and then they're like, oh, and then he's a clone mm -hmm. because we have to explain the barcode. And then more inspiration came externally with David Bateson, the voice actor out of South Africa, actually just like caught wind of the project and showed up and was like, can I voice the, it's what it sounds like. Just heard that these people were working on this game, needed a job, was a go-getter. And had the voice. Essentially, like, it was both the voice and the physical appearance that really guided the look oh, that they gave. David Bateson makes public uh, appearances at Hitman kind of events dressed as Agent 47. And he has, like, that dour face. And yep. he has the completely bald head. And it, like, he looks like Agent 47. He's even born... He's like in canonically the same age as Agent 47. That's awesome. It really does. He like fits the role perfectly. I love when the voice actor looks like the. Oh, the, yeah. It's so um, cool. Also, I, and I know this is weird, but like the fact that he is a, I believe his family is British. So like even though he was born in South Africa, he like is more aligned with like being an Englishman. The fact that he's using like a weird kind of st a stilted American accent in his performances gives Agent 47 that kind of like stilted, like man machine yes. kind of uh, energy. April, if you can add to this one of the most famous voice lines from the first Hitman game, uh, it's just David's uh, reading the line, I need to use the bathroom. Hello, sir. What can I do for you? I need to use the bathroom. And just <laughs> just while I have a, I don't know who this factoid is for, but I think if you are if you are meme poisoned, you will appreciate that David Bateson, the voice of Agent Forty Seven, is also uh, the voice of Lego ads, and so he is the man who uttered the famous line. A man has fallen into the river in Lego City. <laughs> uh, also, April, please play that as well. A man has fallen into the river in Lego City. Start the new rescue helicopter. 
The man has left an indelible mark on internet culture. So Io then gets picked up by publisher Eidos, who was recently enjoying a, the runaway success of their Tomb Raider franchise, and pulled in producer Jonas Inneroth uh, from the also very successful stealth shooter Thief, The Dark Project, to work with the team. And that is when... God fucking Thief, just trying to whack like rectangle-shaped guards in I the back with a blackjack. It. I didn't even touch it. I was like, it's only stealth... The thing with Metal Gear Solid was it had kind of a balance of, yes, it's stealth, but the story shit was so batshit insane and there were boss fights and there was still like enough of an element of like, this is also just a shooter at times, kind of, you know, that it kept me in. But yeah, I heard about Thief and I was like, fuck that. (laughs) So just so we're following how this like very bizarre game franchise came into being. Yeah. Demo scene guys figure out this tech. Uh, the corporate overseers are like, please do something simple with this. The advanced physics tech gets the eye of ADOS, and one of their producers is like, hey, we've been having a ton of success with games like uh, with like, like Thief. Stealth is big right now. Can you make it more stealthy? And like now they've created this bizarre hybrid action high tech stealth game. It's a little bit of chicken and the egg too, because I guess we've tracked that they came up with the character first before they turned it stealth. But it just seems like the Agent Forty Seven is tailor made to be a stealth protagonist. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in that way. Well, it's it's that's fascinating because. The fact that, you know, is he supposed to be like a cool guy that like 14 year olds in 2002 were being like, oh, I want to be cool and like standing in the rain holding two guns and be have like dark secrets. Whereas now the fact that he is such a nondescript white guy makes him such a great avatar. And the fact that he does dress up in goofy costumes, you know, besides the barcode, he's and even the barcode is supposed to mean that he is replaceable, that he is like. Uh, uh, not unique in uh, in in many ways. So the finishing touch was Jesper Kid's soundtrack, which had a sharp techno feel, something very hip at the time, very European, and just gave it that sleek, cool, you know, taking itself too seriously, <laughs> albeit vibe. Right? He's just this guy. Yeah, he's this blank slate. He's this, but he's cool as a cucumber. Kind of almost looks like a white cucumber. <laughs> And the soundtrack's like totally hip and whatever, you know what I mean? And and during my uh, college ball days, they called me the white cucumber <laughs> and, because I snapped in half so easily. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just it was it was uh, it, it made for a pretty solid debut. I will say too, I definitely nostalgia tripped. You know that Tomb Raider connection with Idos, the menu of the original games. Looked exactly like the Tomb Raider, like with the revolving mm-hmm. uh, um, items in, in the pause screen that that kind of spin around is uh, such a unique thing I, to me to Tomb Raider. I was like, no shit, they put that in the Hitman. That makes so much sense now with the with the uh, Idos being the publisher. Uh, so the game's released at the end of the year two thousand. It received mixed reviews as PC it was only. deeply flawed, and it was also PC only, and it showed a lot of potential. Right, mm-hmm. it, it definitely. It definitely was 
one of those interesting PC experiment games that came out. A lot of those came out around this time. And what, but it was the kind of game where it was like, see what we have over on the PC. Like you guys don't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it kind of, that's part of its success. It's, it was up there with Deus Ex as the kind of like deeper kind of adventure simulation kind of, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, Impressive 3D graphics, and you got to think a little. Uh, System Shock, like there was a whole, whole, whole zone of PC exclusive games that like really did stuff that you couldn't do on a PlayStation or an right. N64. But speaking of the PC, this was actually the first time the dev team had ever worked on a game for the PC. So a lot of the control issues and things like that were were attributed to that fact. Other issues revolved around them experimenting a lot with pretty new genre of game at that time. And they're they're defining the stealth genre mm-hmm. with with Hitman. And still though, the game is enough of a success that they decided to make a sequel instead of their giant high fantasy MMORPG <laughs> what insanity a world. idea that they were trying to go with uh, initially. So that's what gets us to Hitman 2, Silent Assassin, as well as 2.5 Contracts, which is a weird like best of thing. We'll explain that in just a second. Uh, the sequel fulfilled the promise of the first game with much smoother controls, as well as a more streamlined gameplay approach. Also, with- they fixed the uh, checkpoint system, which was almost yeah. unusable in the first game. Oh, really? So, like, like that was a huge source, you know. This uh, the the term Eurojank uh, uh-huh. appears often when talking about early European developers, and uh, the fact was a lot of times in Hitman you would lose just like you know an hour of progress, and because of some dumb mistake. And Hitman 2 did its best to like really streamline that. Yeah, and they also streamlined objectives. They they made the main goal to achieve the silent assassin rating, which you could only achieve by leaving everyone alive except for the target who had to be taken out without being noticed. And so it was just a bit just everything was more defined with mm-hmm. Hitman 2, Silent Assassin. The game though also came with its fair share of controversy. This will not be the last time Hitman receives controversy. This is the uh um, bus full of nuns getting blown up. This is our first nun-related controversy with the franchise. Put it on the list. Nun incident number one. They're literally like singing kumbaya or something. Maybe not literally kumbaya, but they're singing like ch- church songs on a bus. And uh, I think this is like the very beginning. A lot of it is, Oh, the Lord keeps me alive. We like being alive. We're nuns. We're alive nuns. No one's going to blow Explosion. up our... Oh! Uh, yeah, it, it this a lot of this game, I believe, takes place in Italy. Uh, it surrounds, you know, it largely has to do with the mafia. And they at the very beginning, they accidentally blow up a bus full of nuns. And uh, this was actually uh, cut out. Uh, at the storyboard phase, the bigger the bigger issue though had to do with the Sikh holy site in uh, India, where forty seven murders a bunch of turban wearing terrorists. This received a lot of backlash from the Sikh community, and uh, oh, okay. especially God, God, the Sikhs got it so fucking well, bad. Two thousand and two, right? Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I, yada yada yada. Literally, nine eleven happens. Everyone goes fucking frothing racist uh, psycho mode yeah. on the Muslim community, and because of just the innate racism of Western media, people associate Muslims with like turban wearing. Right, and the fact is, like, the most common per- people you will see wearing turbans in modern society are Sikhs who are not even Muslim. So, like, they just got. Fucked over so bad by like the worst people in the world. And it really was like, 
I'm glad they fixed this. Like, yeah. it really was just a, a, a oof error. Yeah, they cut the scene from the game. Uh, so at least there's that. And we'll talk about the controversial ads. That's in a different game uh, th- that we referenced before, but we'll get there. As Hitman 2 hit shelves in 2002, they were already hard at work on an ambitious potential into the series. However, after eight months of development, they knew they couldn't meet Eidos' strict deadline policy to get the game out in time. You can actually check our Tomb Raider episode uh, to learn about how Eidos is a bunch of, was a bunch of crunch monsters mm-hmm. back in the day. So this is why we get Hitman 2.5 contracts. That's their solution. So as they're still plugging away at Hitman 3, their their little solution in the meantime to get something out to meet Eidos's yeah deadlines. They took all the best stuff from the first Hitman game, they ran it through their newer Hitman 2 engine, and the result is Hitman Contracts, a sort of 2.5. That, that They added game... some other missions as well, and, uh, you know, for people that had gotten in at Hitman 2 uh, and on console, they didn't have access to that content True. before. So, yeah, it did But worked. it definitely got some criticism for being like, um, you're not ready for a best of yet. <laughs> You've only put two games out, and they're not even like, you know, we know you're, they're not even reaching the potential you need to get to. But uh, oh, it's kind of a recurring theme of IO being this, like, relatively small developer uh, trying to just, like, keep trying to work around the rigors of video game releases as a business and having the very entitled gaming community be like, no, (laughs) no. Also around this time, Eidos fully acquires IO Interactive for about 20 million pounds. More on that in a little bit. As we move into Hitman Blood Money, the the high watermark of the original series, I think, according to most people. Jacob Anderson said, Originally, Hitman 3's story was meant to be a parody around George Bush's re-election campaign. It would have hit right in the middle of the campaign. The delay in the game's release, however, dashed those plans. The plot changed a little bit to revolve around a vice president planning a coup against the current POTUS. <laughs> so they did alter that a little bit. They did a lot to expand on the formula with this game. That's why people really, really tout this as the best of the old old line of games. We played a little bit of this on the uh, Sunday study stream. I barely, I don't think I made it through the tutorial level, (laughs) but there was like a lot of interesting mechanics, a lot of traversal, a lot of uh, disguises, hiding bodies. AI is a little more interesting. The guards can now tell when you've switched disguises, so you have to be a lot sneakier, a lot more smart, and there's also more complex kills. Like, say, you can shoot out the bottom of a glass pool on a balcony to eliminate the swimmers or um, the uh, other type of mousetrap-style tricks to get the kill without being directly involved, such as replacing a prop gun with a real one and a mm. theatrical performance to get the kill that way. This is kind of when we first oh, start to see these Hitman fans kills. point, I, f- I forget what mission that is, but yeah, you swap out the prop gun, you kill, the first target gets killed, uh, not by you, so, like, you're in the clear, and then the second target will come out to help the first target, at which point you can collapse a lightning rig on top of them yeah. and walk away clean without anybody even trying to stop you. There were also bigger set pieces, and I think this really informed the later games uh, in a lot of ways. That There's a huge crowd scene set during Mardi Gras mm-hmm. in New Orleans or a big gunfight in the White House. And Agent 47 was now getting more notoriety and could be spotted more easily with a rival tracking agency going, 
going after him in an attempt to assassinate the assassin. I'm an assassin. And oh uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think the way that mechanic worked, uh, your notoriety would go up if you did sloppier kills, mm. and you would have to use your uh, money from the assassination to like basically pay off the notoriety, like basically hush money, and that hush money would take out your available funds for like new items and new weapons and like so your progress really was stunted if you just went loud with too many missions yeah it's clearly such a foundational game for the reboot series they Mm. definitely look towards this absolutely especially because they listen to their fans and it was a fan favorite for sure the controversy with this game is that advertising campaign featuring images of a model in lingerie with a bullet hole in her head (laughs) and the caption beautifully executed written buffer and there were some other ones like that Mm -hmm. uh, with just people being assassinated different ways and and, uh, like a cute little slogan and they were definitely like um you're really like promoting murder here I mean this was (laughs) in Game Informer notorious violence against women's issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty intense stuff. It, it, go look it up. It's I can't believe it made it to print, like yeah. these advertisements. Regardless, this is for sure the most popular, successful game in the original run of the franchise and was a total critical darling. And it sold great, and it definitely gave us the best I.O. could offer up to that point with this stealth series. And, you know, maybe it would have kept going in that form, But some stuff went down with the company. Before we get into that, though, I think it's time to talk a little bit about these terrible ass movies, just for a second. Okay. I mean, you watched one of them. I watched the good one of the terrible movies. Yeah, there's bad Hitman movies, and IO Interactive made a deal with 20th Century Fox in the early aughts to turn the franchise into a filmic experience. We uh, definitely saw a bunch of stuff around this time, like the Doom movie. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of like really weak-ass attempts at adapting video games into films, to the point where I don't understand why they ever do it at all it it just never seems to really work i mean you say that now but the mario animated movie is just around the sonic movie came out last of us on hbo max is looking to be good i think they're starting to finally figure it out but it's taken fucking forever (laughs) skip woods was hired to write the script on the first one he wrote swordfish he wrote X-Men Origins Wolverine. (laughs) Oh, wow. Heavy hitter over there. Uh, And actually, I think this was all really went into process because Vin Diesel was originally attached to produce and star in the movie. America's favorite bald man. Yeah, exactly. I believe he also has a barcode on the back (laughs) of his head. Diesel dropped out, so they got Timothy Oliphant, as you said. Hot off the Deadwood hype. Yeah, well. This was going to be his, like, jump to the silver screen. That's my favorite fact about this. Oliphant would later admit he solely took took on the job as a way to pay for his new house after the show Deadwood had been canceled <laughs> unexpectedly. So it was literally just a desperate cash grab because like his re- the real show got fucked that he was he was working on and He's Deadwood was fine amazing. In it. He's charming. No, De- yeah, I love oh oh in Hitman. Yeah. yeah, but Deadwood true story on that too by the way. It just abruptly ends after the 3rd season and it was an amazing show and there's a lot of head scratching from uh its avid fan base as to why it got maybe we'll talk maybe we'll do deadwood at some point um maybe we'll have ed on to do deadwood that that is a favorite of mine as well from deadpool to deadwood yeah we'll just do deadpool deadwood (laughs) co-episode even though we've already done an episode on deadpool we'll figure it out you also have xavier gins gins uh, gins who didn't have a ton of notable stuff on the resume attached to that that guy directed it 
for what it's worth. The result is an incredibly subpar video game adaptation to add to the stack. There would later be an even worse Hitman movie titled Hitman Agent 47. This was written again by Skip Woods, starring Rupert Friend as Agent 47 and directed by a German guy who is making his directorial debut after having previously directed a bunch of commercials. (laughs) I'll just say the Timothy Oliphant movie, Timothy Oliphant is charming in it. Uh, He reads a little bit young. He's like a little bit baby faced to be like Agent 47. But uh, there's a few scenes where like they capture how he has to use his wits and understanding of the area he's in to like be more effective. He's playing angles. He's like doing some clever stuff. Is there a love interest? Olga Kurlyenko plays a like sassy uh, sex worker turned target. Does he have very like just machine-like sex with her where he's just kind of slamming away? He has a little bit of like shy boy energy. He's like, (laughs) I've met... Oh no, he has like he has like a very road American. He's like accent. a cave. He's like he like no, it's, woman. He, it's, it's a little bit cute where like he's this like cold blooded dude, and as soon as she's like rawr, he's like uh uh um listen, I can't. <laughs> this is no. I don't even know if it works down <laughs> yeah. there. I I can I think about is killing. I can kill a fucking squirrel from eighteen miles away. <laughs> But I don't know if this thing shoots at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, maybe I'll have to watch it then. I, it's not bad. It's I, not I, bad. My favorite in the series, the third film, which is is people say is even worse, but I Shit love it. Man? No, it's called Hitman Tries to Fuck a Woman. <laughs> uh, it's only thirty five minutes long, and it's after uh, after fifteen minutes of him fumbling with his belt, he just goes, "I need to use the bathroom," and runs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love the final line: "Hitman doesn't fuck. Hitman makes love," <laughs> and then credits. It's so Oh, God. The violin music starts The violin sleeping. music, yeah, yeah. And it's not even violin music. It's just a person per, uh, sounding like a violin. <laughs> and so it's one of those, it's got one of those vocal artists mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, really, really terrible. Now let's get back to the main series. The movies are such a just a whatever side thought uh, that really don't mean anything. Just don't watch them. You're so fine. we're entering the next generation of consoles. And that means like higher resolution textures, better uh, AI in the enemies, and the production costs get super, super high. And uh, the pressure is on for them to like really produce a hit. And what is hot right now at this point in 2000s gaming? Stuff like Gears of War, stuff like Halo. There's like a lot of external pressure that if this game needs to make up for its costs, it needs to be a hit, and so they need to dumb it down a little. I was about to say, or or abandon everything that it was originally <laughs> supposed to be about. So yeah, not long after the first Hitman movie took a dive at the box office, Jacob Anderson and his team decided to leave IO Interactive and reform Retomoto to work on other stuff. Musician Jesper Kidd also went on to compose for the highly successful Borderlands and Assassin's Creed game. That guy is a massively successful video game composer. So he went off to do that. Then in mid-2009, Square Enix purchases Eidos and later trademarks the title Hitman Absolution. David Bateson, who uh, had been the voice and look, wrote on his website he'd actually been, quote, unceremoniously dropped from the franchise. And he'll later be reinstated. But I'll just say this really just shows that like everything's... 
up for grabs. Everything's crumbling. No one knows what's going on. Square Enix is really just kind of taking this thing in a different direction, it seems. Then there's another weird nun controversy. A trailer for the game has nuns yanking off their habits to reveal they were wearing naughty und- undies <laughs> underneath, kind of like just the Sex and the corsets. City sequel with the uh, <laughs> Middle Eastern ladies. Just vinyl clad in black, just fucking sex pots and high heels with uh, assault rifles. Yeah, and then I guess Age of 47 then mercs all of them. This leads to game director Tor Blystad to publicly apologize. Months later, realizing they'd made a mistake, the devs reinstated Bateson as the voice of 47, so he at least comes back. But still, the game comes out, and it's not Hitman. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting kind of thing, because the game took years to come out to the point where the games they were trying to emulate had fallen out of favor, Early fan reaction because you know they do testing, they stay in touch with their uh, community. Uh, was saying this isn't Hitman, so then they delayed it even further to try and reincorporate some of the missing mechanics and uh, and kind of old school style gameplay uh, back into it, which led to even more delays. And so by the time it came out, it was this kind of hybrid thing. It was beautiful to look at. Um, you know, a lot of fans. Uh, were disappointed in how far they've strayed. Uh, it didn't really capture action fans like they wanted to, but it, it it was still a quality product. Even without the original founders, these are still veteran developers that are good at what they do. It is a quality AAA game. It just was kind of this bastard child in the franchise. Yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. It deviated from the sell the bit and allowed for more big action sequences. This, of course, doesn't sit well for the fans. The core franchise is kind of just in the middle of any of it, right? It can't really please the the people who loved the other games. It's not like doing enough of a good job with like the run and gun kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, like like you said, you got Gears, you got Halo. I mean, there's just top of the line people making that kind of thing right these days maybe it was kind of more what, what do you think it was referencing like max Payne, probably yeah and- yeah no they were definitely yeah yeah no they just wanted something a little more accessible something that could get people into the world of hitman and then maybe like the slight stealth elements that they had incorporated would like get people geared up 
for the other entries in the franchise get geared up for what's next. Yeah. I don't know for sure. But hey, IO wasn't worrying that much because they were also working on the next great franchise that would set the world on fire. Yeah. A little game series we call Kane and Lynch. That's right. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the what's the story? Kane and Lynch, the first one did do quite well, right? It was the sequel that was uh, not as well loved and <laughs> kind of the reason why Giant Bomb formed. But that's. <laughs> A whole other story. Well, you know, uh, uh, I think at this time, co-op, couch co-op with Gears of War and Resident Evil uh, 5. And uh, there was like, it was a hot commodity back then. It was like, there was, there, it was it was a trendy thing to do two-player couch co-op in a AAA action game. And um, A, like the grungy art style wasn't that appealing. Like, you know, it is just these like two filthy guys like uh, who were pieces of shit. So it wasn't like really that aspirational and maybe just the unique mix of edge that they were going for wasn't like resonating with audiences. Uh, launching a new IP again for these newer generation consoles were massive financial undertakings. It kind of is the death of edge we're, we're telling the story of right now. The death of edge in video games a little bit. This was, this was the tail end of it. And then people started being like, Myself included, like, even if we're going to get really violent and stuff, can we get some sunlight in here? Can we get some lushness and, and beauty? Does everything have to have this grit and feel like this just bogged down, dark, you know, slog? On top of everything else, you know, just game development in Europe, especially in a country that actually takes care of its people like Denmark, is more expensive than in a lot of other regions. So... These are expensive games to make with an expensive crew, and they're working on multiple titles at the same time. So Square Enix is just really not seeing a return on their investment in IO at this time. And so they really are kind of left in a uh left in a in a in a kind of situation where they're disappointing the money people, and that's not a good place to be. So those folks Speaking of disappointing the money people, go to patreon.com slash whizbrew and you can listen to five dollars. That, that's <laughs> that you can be segue. a money people and we won't disappoint you. Okay, yeah. I was about to like, patreon.com slash whizbrew. Five dollars a month bonus episodes. It's a great time. Yeah. It's a wonderful time. You might just if you go over there, you might just hear from the sleeky man. <laughs> What? Oh, man, it's a man. For $20 a month, you don't have to listen to the Sleeky Man. And for a, one down payment of $100, we will execute <laughs> the Sleeky Man. Just one person. Just one person what? has to what? do it. What do you mean? Sleeky Man, you knew the rules going into this. Oh, God. We I'm brought you into die. this world. We will take you out, Sleeky Man. I don't want to die. Tell you what, we'll give you more peanut shells to eat if you stop screaming. <laughs> Though folks were pretty adamant about their displeasure with the more recent Hitman game, the team strove to find a middle ground between it and Hitman games that came before. Kristen Elverdam, who was the gameplay director on Absolution, took the helm of director for the reboot series. Elverdam said, We're trying to distill the essence of Hitman. We've been doing Hitman for 15 years, and we felt we had a chance now to try to build. I wouldn't say the perfect Hitman game, but the aspiration is to build the perfect Hitman game. Elverdam said, When we looked at a game like Hitman Blood Money, we had a very big sandbox game with a lot of freedom and this general promise that all missions are going to be hit missions. You're a Hitman. It's why you're there in the first place. That's something we felt was a good starting point. Yeah, you think... (laughs) 
<laughs> Overdam. With Absolution, we felt we came quite far in building these living worlds. NPCs in our game are quite advanced. They can talk about a lot of stuff they see. They're generally very talkative about everything. We wanted to keep that detail even if we weren't bigger, which in itself is a bit of a challenge. He also wanted to bring to the original formula the stronger controls from Absolution. Basically, bring the best from that game, marry it with the best of blood money, and that's sort of how we get to 2016's Hitman reboot. The sandbox aspect of the game was the most important element to the team. He said, We felt that looking back, one of the beautiful things is the feeling you can go anywhere. The world is basically 47's oyster, and he's just waiting for contracts on high-profile targets to come in. And, you know, it was a lot of playing with the size of the sandbox. They went and upgraded their Glacier game engine to support larger environments. And then also their approach to level design, they started to figure out, parse out, like, what kind of levels they wanted to present to people. And they either had the fortress approach or the snail house approach. The fortress approach is a level that one must infiltrate. One's trying to get into the world. The snail house, however, it's a circular design. The player can freely explore around the outer layers as they attempt to gain access to the guarded central core. And there are different versions of the snail house and the fortress as they went. And just really figuring out this interconnected ecosystem, almost more than it you would call it a level, you know? Um, uh, it's the Paris level, I think, the fashion show level where they were really like just trying to test all these concepts out at the same time, just over and over again, adding stuff, taking stuff away, just testing, 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 trying to make this like new style work for them. There's also the fact that at this point, current IO Interactive CEO, Hakan Abrak, great name, sounds like a spell you'd cast at a wizard, <laughs> had a brilliant idea to try and like please Square Enix, please the fans, and make sure that their team had enough time to like release and really refine the gameplay in a way that made it so that they could do all sorts of stuff. They could add new levels. They can add new targets. They can release new stuff as it's finished and refined and not just like put out a shoddy product and not be able to fix it because they're under the gun too much. They were going to release an episodic model. Yeah, really, really wild swing. That is for the craziest and, you know, this thing was about like, the first uh, reboot game. Yeah, yeah. Destiny really hadn't like quite cemented this. Fortnite hadn't cemented this. The you know, this this was a lur lurking threat on the edge of the video games industry. But Abrock really thought he was onto something. He thought he had cracked the code with this. For a lower introductory price, you can enter the world of assassination, and you can decide for yourself, like, and see for yourself just what they've uh, kind of worked with because they were pulling back from the absolution uh, strategy where they were just going to lure in gamers with like a familiar style of gameplay. No, they're going to stick to what they do best. And that's like a big ask. So you just pay a little bit ahead of time. And then if you like it, you pay for the whole season and gamers hated this. idea. Yeah. And uh, it's unfortunate because it really is very smart, especially for the type of game that it is. Each level is this really wild, intricate sandbox situation where there's so many different things to explore and find out about. It's not the type of game where it's like, 
play this level, beat it, move on to the next level. They didn't want you to do that. They wanted you to continue to play that same level over and over again and seek out all the different cool little things that they instilled in it. And so that was their approach was a lot more actually genuinely trying to like engage the player in a positive way. And I, But I think a lot of people saw it especially around this time with a lot of issues with like loot boxes and DLC and all this kind of stuff. I think people saw it more as like, how are you trying? Yeah. I get what you're doing. You're trying to, you're trying to trick me. You're trying to pull one over on me to make more money. I just thought, you know, I don't know how, but that's what you're doing. It's like, no, we're going to give you all the content. It's going to be a really cool full experience by the end, but we just want to release it in this different way to get you to engage with the game in a different way than you do with most other games. In the Noclip documentary, uh, Hakan talks about how the goal was to just like get a bunch of people in on the ground floor for the lower price and then convert them. And what happened was they still sold more people just Hitman fans just buying the full season before the content was even finished. Yeah. Then people buying in on just the single episode. Well, and they're, they're just about to remedy this. But yes, they're still in this phase uh, where it's not quite all clicking with the way they're releasing stuff. And I will say, though, they, they add some really interesting elements to the game because it is this fascinating sandbox, but you still got to guide the player a little bit. So their solution to that was adding the opportunity systems. This has the player <laughs> in, encountering various pieces of intel that open up pathways for different approaches to the assassination without totally just showing them exactly how to execute the plan in the end. It's like it really attempts to solve the problem of that balance of being on rails and absolute freedom and not making any player feel like bogged down or like, oh, you're just like, now I'm just doing this this very specific controlled way while also get, I need guidance personally. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't want it's total very over, even with all the very clever UI and uh, gameplay guidance systems that they have in a modern Hitman game, it can be extremely overwhelming walking into one of these levels for the first time, just like seeing all these NPCs surrounding you, uh, you bringing up your like hitman instinct detective mode and seeing like the guards and the specific guards that can like see through your disguise and yeah. see the target. And you're just kind of like, what the fuck am I like? Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. And then you get to the point where I got with, uh, and just, you pick up the bottle wrong and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. That guy picked up a bottle, shoot him in the brain. <laughs> One thing I wanted, Oh God, we didn't mention it. When we were talking about absolution, the instinct system where mm. his ability to blend in was on a meter. Mm. And so if you like, so it wasn't just about getting the disguise. You had to make sure you had enough like instinct power to get past certain checkpoints. And all it would do was make uh, Agent 47 like kind of bow his head and hold his head to his side <laughs> like a shit. Like the most obvious. I'm That's, trying to sneak. Yeah, yeah. Please don't notice me. That's hilarious. It's very funny. Another cool thing they added to the 2016 game that, that, that was, it really helped feed this approach to, uh, with this episodic content was their elusive targets. That was targets that only exist for let's say a weekend one is given a dossier on them and they they need to try to find them in a pre-existing environment in the game just again to give you more excuses to jump back into that same level and have a different experience that was really cool and also led to a lot of online discourse and you know they really wanted you know they were definitely had streamers in mind for this game like they were like we want we would love for the experience to be like we release an elusive target Someone does a Twitch stream where they 
show a community like like the target how to do it, then the community can go and do it themselves. They, they were really trying to think of how they could get a mm. lot of online engagement to happen with the way they released different pieces of content for this. It for this really series. is tragic how they were doing so many innovative things with the gameplay. And all people really wanted to gripe about was the stuff they were doing with the ways they were changing up the release schedule. Because, A, yes, it was always online because they were creating this client. Right. You know, it had to be always online because it was always updating with new missions and new content and new outfits and new weapons and all, new levels and all this stuff. So this was a time when always online was a real big boogeyman. Yeah, we were at yeah. the Sim City, the Sims, all this shit. I know. It's so funny how pure their intentions were, but they were just caught up in the bugaboos of the era, the shit that people were not into, like episodic kind of stuff was, yeah, exactly how you said, kind of looked at in a different way. Definitely always online was just like a weird, it, it kept people from buying Xboxes for fucking years. Yeah. Like until this new generation that people were like, I hear it's always got to be online because one announcement was made that was walked back immediately. Uh, Longtime fans that. were also pretty disappointed because uh, for a while, IO really struggled with getting those servers working correctly. Yeah. Uh, where they would get the game, excited to play, longtime fan, and just like, can't connect to the internet. Fuck you. Mm. Can't play. So when this game releases, Square Enix definitely disappointed with the return on investment. And that is what leads them to set out to sell IO Interactive in mid-2017. And this is when I say perseverance comes into play. IO ends up stepping in and really taking a huge risk and undergoes a management buyout. So they bought themselves back, essentially. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, and by the way, when this happened, Hitman 2 was only 25% complete. In order to stay afloat, they had to then lay off 40% of their workforce, which was made of about 200 employees at the time. So not even that many people. And now they're down to 140. I don't know how to do the math on that. 160 people. I don't know what it was. But it's not a lot of people left. The remaining team knew they needed to up their player base and fast. So they made the first episode of their first game free to play. And that was the absolute fucking game changer. And that was how they solved it. And I bet if they had done that in the first place with the mm -hmm. episodic content nature, they probably would have um, yeah. hooked in a lot more people on Hitman 1. You know, it's an even bolder choice than just releasing the first episode at a reduced price. Now you're just giving it away for free, uh, which is an insane risk. But that was enough to keep people... That was that was the lowest hurdle possible, and enough people picked it up. They got three times the amount of people playing that first level than purchased the first game. And many of those people were convinced from there to purchase the game because it was a good product. It always was. Hitman 1 was a good product. People just, they just didn't have enough eyes on it, hands on the controller on it. And so that really, really totally changed the game for them. The idea of the world of assassination as a client for gameplay instead of a standalone title was also cemented in this point because they were able to say, hey, all the Hitman 1 levels, like you can bring it over. 
Uh, even though that actually that also had a bunch of like fucked up server shenanigans. Well, there was a whole issue up. with Steam and Epic Games because mm-hmm. that was around the time when Epic Games was making a million deals with a bunch of different mm-hmm. dev companies, and then the Steam. They were like, "Wait a second, or, or, is the Steam content gonna move into like if I have it on Hitman One on Steam?" And then they were like, "No, it won't." And then they and then everyone complained, and then they figured that out. That was a PC user. You had to go to issue. a third party website. It was very yeah, it was it very was, weird. Yeah, the way they rolled that. That, that was also, I think bizarre. the fact that uh, Square, because there were the layoffs, because Square Enix put them on the chopping block, I think a lot of longtime fans uh, were like kind of scared that it was going to go away. Um, and the fact that uh, I think a lot of times gamers were trained by games like the first Hitman that like, well, I'll just wait till the game of the year edition, buy it on Steam for like 40 percent off and just get all this content at once. And the fact that, like, it was all up in the air, that nobody knew what was going to happen. And, like you mentioned, the gaming press were all rallying for this game and saying, like, no, there is, there's a there there. This yeah. game, this is, they're doing some really interesting shit that, uh, that when it was time for Hitman 2, enough people were ready for it, enough people were willing to take a risk on it. And uh, it really, like, the fans and the company themselves finally, like, reached uh, eye to eye. Yeah. and that I.O. Be- to eye. I.O. to I.O. The eventual success is how I.O. managed to gain the support of Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment as the publisher of the sequel, as well as the definitive edition of the first game. The new game featured six maps with different teams focused on each one. They played with their own model of Fortress and Snail House. They designed the Mumbai level as oh. a reverse fortress in which a player must seek out the target themselves they don't know who it is until they the male who is maelstrom holden and then and can to, you shave him and then they have to take them out in a public area so they're really messing around with the format miami is actually the largest area they did to that point and it consisted of 2000 npcs in the crowd they focused more on story in this game as well, which was easier to do as they did not continue with the episodic release models. Before, they're releasing everything so so separately, they were concerned, and rightfully so, that people wouldn't remember the story beat from the previous level enough, so they kind of kept it separate. Keep it separated. They kept it separated. All right? That's an offspring reference for you kids out there, for the ch- tiny children listening. They also leaned into the dark humor element. We brought this up before. This is most likely prompted by the fun way streamers found humor in the first game. And the addition of mission stories gave players more motivation to try out different features, tools, and costumes. The team put a ton of post-game content in as well. And after its release in late 2018, the game was a much bigger financial success than the first one. And really just showed like how much this team cares, how much they care about their audience, how devoted they are to getting as many people to play the game as possible. And again, I go back to this. I really do think their intentions are pure. Mm -hmm. They want to give an entertaining, worthwhile, financially gaming experience to the players. They're not trying to, to... you know, loot box to oblivion their their audience, and I think it's pretty obvious that 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 is uh, the case and was the case from the get go. It was just hard to see that for sure. But the Hitman Two was just such a banger success for them, which is fucking awesome. Is that led to Hitman Three, the final game in their trilogy? They call it the World of Assassination trilogy. 
They did want to go darker, more serious with the tone than the previous one. They uh, also, um, I think, smartly scaled back on the map sizes. The director of Hitman 3, Matthias Ingstrom, said, it's better to be a little sharper and more focused to create a more polished and coherent experience than, you know, in my words, like try to throw as many insane PCs, uh, NPCs rather, into a level and make it the the area as huge as possible and all that. Their starting point in development was actually the ending. They really wanted to nail down what the end of the game was, then go back and really lay out like all the story beats. I tried to like figure out what the story was the constant there's like eight different organizations and uh-huh. sub organizations and turnarounds and uh, agent number six and agent 47 and diana burnwood and every the burnwood family secret and <laughs> everything just all i, I couldn't keep track <laughs> but yeah they wanted to give the player an experience i think they even start even just with lighting and everything as vibrant as possible in the beginning with dubai and slowly as the game goes on it gets darker and darker tonally even with the look and everything and really tries to bring this story to a close which they do that is the end of the trilogy the game is released in january of 2021 it ends up being the best seller yet for the reboot franchise and yes the trilogy is over however there are plans to continue releasing hitman titles in the future from io interactive they're also working on other stuff well, I mean, I think this is one of the biggest, like, kind of triumphant things for IO after going through all of this uh, tumultuous kind of shifts is uh, their highest anticipated title. The thing that, like, of course they'll be the ones to make this game. They're the only people who could make this game. Yeah. The 007 Project. They got the James yes, Bond license. that's right. That's, oh, my God. How did I forget that? Yeah, they got Specifically because... Uh, Eon Productions is famously the oddly quirky rights holders for the James Bond license. And they were pissed off at this point at the amount of just like run and gun violence that was prevalent in most, you know, even back in GoldenEye, like you're just running around with twin machine guns. And that's like not what they wanted James Bond to be. And so here's IO Interactive. Supposedly, they worked on this pitch for two years straight to like give them exactly what they wanted to hear and be like, no, you infiltrate. No, you like you smooth talk. You like are working in the shadows. You are an actual secret agent. And we're the only fuckers that have the tech that have the know how to actually get a James Bond kind of scenario simulation working in real time. Yeah, it's I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited for the future of this group. And it's just a great analogy for you know, how magic can happen and how we, we you can really make it through uh, some really stormy weather. You know, they were at the worst kind of down on their luck moment when they, you know, finished and put out Hitman 2. They were a, a much smaller team. They were DIYing it, essentially. They didn't have a publisher. They had just been sold. Their game, you know, it, it's it's not a good look. Mm-hmm. It's not a good... The game didn't sell as well, obviously, as at least Square Enix had hoped. Uh, it was a success in some ways. But for the most part, all signs pointed to give up. And they fucking made it work and did some really smart, innovative things. And just goes to show that you're never, you know down for the count unless you choose to be. You can always turn it something around. Let that be a lesson to everyone listening. If you've ever experienced personal failure or setbacks, it's your own fault and if you can't, uh, and you alone, it's all in your hands. Feel bad if you haven't succeeded. And stop masturbating. It'll make you go blind.
you probably should stop masturbating if you have like a discreet goal you've been working towards. It really <laughs> just takes a lot. It just it's just a not a great use of time. No, no, keep doing it, keep jerking it out there, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed our episode <laughs> on Hitman. I need to use the bathroom. Jake has to, to use masturbate. The bathroom. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, we're we're actually in the LA studio right now, face to face. Kind of amazing uh, to have you here, Jake. And this was such a fun episode to do. If you'd like to support us further, Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew. We have weekly bonus episodes for just five dollars a month, and uh, bearing the lead, ad free episodes of our main feed shows. Over there on Patreon, definitely check that out. For $15 a month, you can join us on our Discord for our Sunday study session, which we're about to run off and go do. Check me out, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I'm streaming Monday through Friday when we're not on tour. Lastpodcastnetwork.com. I believe this will come out before our Dallas and Austin shows, which is going to end our run of tour shows for a little while. Texas, we need you. If your stars are truly big and bright, please come see our show with Page 7. We will release the butthole cut for you. Absolutely. Lastpodcastnetwork.com for ticket info. Uh, If you're listening to this, I believe right when it comes out. And Jake! Uh, Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at bestjakeyoung. And hey, I'm also on Twitch and YouTube, uh, Puppet Jared. Puppet Jared, my little VTuber character. Uh, We do a show called the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster. Every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, we watch weird old bad cartoons and just make fun of them and have a rollicking good time. It's a great community, and I love to see Whizbroom fans there. I think you'll have a fun time. If you enjoy this specific level of shenanigans that we do on this podcast, I offer equal amounts of shenanigans over on Twitch and YouTube. Look for Puppet Jared, the Cartoon Dumpster. All right, and always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.